Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. This is your host, Christina Orlova. Here we will talk about all things OCD. For more information and to contact me with questions, you can go to www.coreresults.com. That's K-O-R-Results.com. Welcome to OCD Whisperer Show. Today with me, I have Dr. Jonathan Hoffman. He's a licensed psychologist in Florida, New York, Utah, and Connecticut. He is board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. Dr. Hoffman is the chief clinical officer and co-founder at Neurobehavioral Institute, NBI, and co-founder at NBI Ranch. Dr. Hoffman is a member of the IOCDF Scientific and Clinical Advisory Board, co-chair of the OCD and Autism Special Interest Group, and has served as a faculty member for the Behavioral Therapy Training Institute. His writings on mental health and OCD-related subjects include Understanding Obsessive-Compulsive Disorders and Addiction, and Stuck, Asperger's Syndrome, and Obsessive-Compulsive Behaviors. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hoffman. My pleasure to be here. So I really appreciate you coming on the show because um, when I was at the virtual OCD conference this year, I joined your talk about substance use disorder and OCD, and it really um, sparked my desire to want to talk to you further about this. Um, my audience is predominantly all OCD you know, folks or or family members who, you know, support or love somebody with OCD or significant others. And so I believe that a lot of people listening, you know, sometimes wonder, you know, do I perhaps drink because of my OCD, sometimes maybe to quiet the mind down or, um, you know, maybe I don't know I have OCD. I guess if we can just more generally speak a little bit about substance use or substances and the impact of that and OCD. Sure. Well, I- OCD is, is just one of the many things uh, people have that substance abuse can interact with. But one of the, but how it interacts with OCD in particular is not uh, such a simple matter. There are people of OCD and they use substances almost like a parallel thing. They don't connect it with their OCD at all. They're not trying to do anything. They're just going out and then their mind's partying or, or doing something with, with friends. And it may not be connected at all for some people. Whereas at the other end of the spectrum, people are using specific substances to get specific effects that they think will either provide immediate relief from OCD or distraction or, or anesthetize themselves or make the thoughts go away. Um, so a lot depends on um, the relationship the person has with the drug. Is they, are they using the drug to make something um, better for themselves or to make something, to get rid of something that's making their lives worse. So each time, each, each intersection of this core morbidity and tr- with treatment, uh, you have to assess on a case by case basis. What is the, um, how much of the drug is being used? Which drug is it? Could be multiple drugs. And what's the purpose of it? What is it trying to fulfill in that person's life? If anything. Gotcha. That's actually a really good point, right? Because yeah, you, you might maybe have more severe or I guess like we we were talk, chatting a little bit before this call, you know, if the primary driver is, is actually a substance disorder versus, you know, OCD, mm-hmm. then that might need to be treated first or more more focused on that end. Or, or, or is the substance triggering the OCD, which you can mm-hmm. for some people. Yeah, that's actually also a very good point, right? Because I think a lot of people with OCD would say things like, oh, yeah, after, let's say, drinking or some other substances, um, mm-hmm. and they may not make that connection initially, but they, they mention afterwards, like, oh, yeah, I usually would get more intrusions or um, I get more anxious or, 
I feel like something's just off and things like that, right? Yes. So question for you is if somebody has dual diagnosis, so specifically with substance use disorder and OCD kind of, how could they think of what, what, what should they do? Where would they go first? Well, that's another complicated question. Because <laughs> this is a, a, a play, uh, a comorbidity um, substance abuse, if we're going to say as a comorbidity for OCD. And I like that you said it's a dual diagnosis because that's exactly how it should be treated. But very often, if someone has a substance uh, use disorder, the thinking is, well, take care of that, then take care of the OCD. Yeah. So that sort of compartmentalized treatment probably is not preferable to something which is actually dealing with both together in an integrated way. Uh, as you said, uh, uh, dealing with, with it as a true dual diagnosis. Mm -hmm. There are some programs that do this, but unfortunately, they're not in uh, great supply. So um, I, I guess it, it, if it's possible to find a program or practitioner who actually is well-versed in both, that is that is the by far the best thing for them to be doing. Because that that we don't know exactly what leads to the best outcomes yet in this area because we need more research in this. But that probably is the, the best way to go from just from clinical experience and what you hear from people. Yeah. And so hearing that, I mean, I guess if somebody's listening right now, I could imagine some questions might be like, well, let's say if I can't really find somebody that specializes in both. Right. Because the reality is a lot of people don't don't quite have that. Right. A lot of people have kind of really niche down from what I've seen, at least into like OC and anxiety related disorders. There's some providers more so now that they'll say things like, oh, I also work with, you know, autism or I also work with um, other, maybe I'll bring in like personality disorder issues and things. But but I, you don't quite often hear as many people who really specialize in, in substance use or abuse and in that arena with OCD and anxiety spectrum disorder. So what would, like, what, what would somebody do really? Yeah, that's true. I do want to mention that um, that's, that's something that of a relatively recent uh, development in the International OCD Foundation is a special interest group that uh, that has people who are very special, very specialized in, in both of those um, mm. Uh, conditions together, but but you're right. That has not received a whole lot of attention. And the idea that treating comorbidities along with OCD, it's kind of interesting in a way because a very high proportion of people with OCD have comorbidities. In fact, it's probably much rarer to have OCD and no comorbidities if you can mm. find that even a, 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 at all. But what should they do? They should do what they can because taking any step is better than taking no step in a positive direction. And and I, I guess if it's if if, if the idea is that the substance abuse is what's causing most of the disruption in their life or they can't stop or they have a physical addiction, then clearly um, dealing with the substance first might be the better road. If they OCD is really the, the driving uh, force of what's happening and people are using, you know, um, some degree of, uh, of substances to, to deal with it, then perhaps an OCD clinic could be able to uh, manage, manage both. Wonderful. Um, and can I ask you from just your clinical practice, what have you seen in terms of some successful outcomes or successes when you've had somebody who maybe has presents with both? Well, I, I, I think there have been some successes. I think when people uh, really take stock that the substances are not really going to help in the long term with OCD and they make a commitment to not using, some people choose to go to 12-step meetings, some people do it in a different way. Um, but when, when there's a commitment to abstinence, realizing 
that at best, the, the, what's the substance that they're using is going to be a very, very temporary fix, and it's not really solving what they want to solve or giving them the life they want, then it's more possible to treat OCD effectively when someone is not simultaneously uh, using substances because the substances interfere with the medication. They create more psychological issues and create just make the whole snowball snowball worse. Uh, some people get very a lack of have lack of motivation. Um, substances are associated with learning, you know, difficulty learning and retaining information. And of course, therapy and, and exposure therapy specifically involve learning and things that you have to remember and generalize. So there, there can be success stories. Uh, I've been doing this for decades and I certainly wouldn't run out of success stories to tell you or know from other um, colleagues of people they work with. That's not to say there's any panacea for this. Mm-hmm. Some people, no matter, they, they, they want to treat, they, they want to maintain the substance use, but not have the OCD. Yes. Now, that sometimes to me is, if I could just be a little corny and say that's a pipe dream uh, here, and that's uh, that's not usually what happens, but everyone is so individual. It's very hard to say that one thing is going to work for all people. Um, and of course, you know, today it becomes even more confusing because the, there's a confusing array of laws about this. There's much more tolerance, especially when it comes to cannabis, about using drugs. You could go on the internet and find a slew of information, even studies that are saying, wow, uh, marijuana is, might be even good for OCD. I have, I think that's a little dubious. And some of the, look, people are investigating more and more things like psilocybin, microdosing, uh, LSD, all, all sorts of different things, um, that one would regard ketamine, which is, can be, you know, a, as well. And, but I, I think sometimes the thing that strikes me the most is that a lot of these um, studies and a lot of the reports people give was about, I don't want to feel relief. I, 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 I want to feel relief, immediate relief. I don't want to feel anxious anymore. I want to get away from this. I want it to stop. But I think that's in a way playing the wrong sport. You know, in a way, the sport here really is to just to build the stress tolerance, build tolerance for uncertainty. So I'm not sure that even though people might think they're doing better, that they're really doing as well as they think in the long run. Just just my opinion on that. Uh, I guess we're just in the stage of really exploring this. So like anything else uh, in, the, in, in the field of mental health, there's not going to be a one size fits all solution. It's more complicated than that. People are more complicated. Their goals are more complicated. And somehow we have to pull together all this information and also understand uh, our regulatory system is really changing. People's attitudes toward this are changing and somehow come to terms with all of this to help a specific individual do well who has OCD and substance use issues. Yeah, and you hit on so many different things um, that I wanted to actually go a little more in depth with um, because that's exactly right. I mean, even my own practice, I've had folks who have had um, you know, the ketamine treatment to try to get rid and reduce of OCD and then watching them go through that where temporarily while doing that seemed to have worked, you know, maybe for like a week, there was some consistency, but then when the treatment stopped and now it's been months later, you know, of course, OCD is OCD. And so there comes the intrusions. It's not like they somehow just disappeared. Um, and then, you know, somebody else who says like they self-administered, you know, the, uh, some mushroom and said, oh my God, I feel like I'm 50% better. Um, and OCD is kind of almost there. And I still kind of wonder like, okay, but is that though permanent? Is it not right in California, as we know, you know, with, with, uh, marijuana and CBD, um, so yeah, it just kind of starts to beg the question of absolutely. I think there needs to be a, a lot more research and time to really see, you know, long term. Mm-hmm. Is there really truly a long term benefit, or do you need to keep 
taking a certain dosage of things over whatever period of time. Um, yeah. And, and I just, I don't know that there's really obviously quite any clear cut answer at this, at this moment in time. Right. But one thing we can really think about is a focus on how you're feeling, which is it's hard to sit here and say someone shouldn't feel better. Of course. I mean, people are in a lot of, a lot of pain often, and I don't say that they, you know, when you're not in someone's shoes, it's hard to say something like that. But I, but I think focusing on functioning rather than feeling probably works out better for most people in the long run. Cause a lot of things that make you feel better right away, unfortunately may not make you function better in the long term. And unfortunately, going through more difficult things actually might have the opposite result. I think the thing with OCD in particular is building competencies and skills, again, distress tolerance, uncertainty tolerance, the ability to move forward and kind of, as they say, and act uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, bring along your OCD to the next thing in life. And, um, you know, it's much harder to get better feelings than better functioning. Feelings are the slowest thing to change. And so we try to um, help people understand that if they want uh, this uh, big change for the long term, the first function, the first focus of treatment is 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 prioritizing uh, behavioral change and prioritize prioritizing uh, function, which can be very frustrating because who wouldn't want to feel better? Of course. I mean, I think that that's a natural human instinct is anytime mm-hmm. any of us naturally feel off or bad or have a, have a lousy day, we, we we try to generally somehow make it better, or at least we generally can accept, okay, it's just a bad day and we can move on. In OCD, of course, that's not the case. It it, it really goes quite deep and you're quite distressed over a very long time. Um, you know, you mentioned the word function, and I can imagine anybody listening, they might, they might pause and go, what's function? What, what does he mean by that? So can you just, would you mind explaining that a little bit? Well, I've used the word function in two different ways. One is the functionality of, of the drug. What, what, what effect are you getting or what consequence are you not getting with the drug? And so that's functionality. But functioning, I, I just mean, can you get up and do your day? Can you get accomplished what you want to get accomplished? Can you work? Uh, can you go to school? Can you en- enter into a, uh, be in a, a relationship in the way that you want to be? Can you be available emotionally for how you want to live your life? And that's what I mean about functioning. Can, yeah. can, can you actually, you know, um, do the basic things in life? Can you go out and get food? Can you take care of yourself? Can you be independent? So that's that's important in life because if you're not doing that, it's hard to have any foundation to build anything. Yeah, and I guess part of what you're hitting on that I was going to say is, again, from the acceptance commitment therapy model, um, I mean, with ERP as well, but really it's just that willingness, right? It's the willingness to live a full life, a meaningful life for you, and granted, for some people, that may involve some level of use of things. They may not. Um, but like you were saying, it's very individual. And really kind of part of what I'm hearing, too, is looking at how is it actually impacting your day-to-day? Are you able to actually, you know, get up and go about your day and your life in a way that you actually want that that makes sense for you? Um, or, you know, is both OCD and, and the substance use, whatever, the, whatever that is, you know, are those things getting in that way where you're just... Be essentially never really able to get to that next step. Um, yeah, I think of it kind of like people often confuse winning battles with winning wars, so to speak, that they, they may win the battle of the day to feel better, but they, they might be losing the war, if you want to use that term, uh, the, the challenge to have a fulfilling and meaningful and happy life. I think, honestly, that's very well put. I think quite often we forget that, but that I think is very well put. Is that long-term, yeah, the long-term goal, the long-term success, what do you ultimately want? 
Um, how ultimately do you want to live your life? Um, so for anybody listening here, um, what would be, you know, I, I do ask this sometimes if, if there was one thing that anybody's listening to right now, what could be one thing that they could do? Um, if they, if they're kind of like, Oh my gosh, this is me. Well, I would say an immediate thing, if this isn't that they could do is to speak to somebody knowledgeable right away to actually speak to somebody again, deciding where they want to start based upon, as I said, which is the, which in their minds is the primary issue, or they could speak to someone, you know, more general, you know, who has a general mental health person to help them sort that out. Um, but I, I think taking a step in the right direction leads to the next step in the right direction. Whereas doing nothing leads to no change. That yeah. is so yeah. well said. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Any step in a direction you want is way better than zero. And it doesn't have to be a giant step. It might just be listening to like your podcast about it, thinking about it, um, getting ready to make a change, trying, uh, trying a, a meeting or trying to go to speak to somebody. But any anything you do can help. And I would add one more thing. I know you asked me for one thing is to take what you read on the Internet with a, a bit of a grain of salt. Mm. You know, there you can go find endless information about how substances are are really not as bad. And, you know, when people give them a bad name, I'm not trying to be anti anything. But I think people with OCD, like anyone with a neurobiological condition, are particularly vulnerable to having to making the situation worse by introducing substances uh, to their to their uh, brains and to their to their bodies. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. You're hitting on an important point, especially like we often hear things like if you have a physical ailment, right? Like you will make lifestyle changes because you're going to have to. So just you know, just like that. I mean, it, we might not see it or hear it because it, it is such an internal experience. And of course, there are some, you know, over, covert and over compulsions. Of course, the ones you can see are easier to spot. But but of course, as humans, I think a lot of a lot of people will do a lot of work to hide that stuff. Um, and even if they need to avoid situations in order to hide, because nobody wants to be judged already. There's internal, I'm sure, shame, embarrassment, pressure, you know, anxiety, all of that stuff. Right. So, yeah, you're not going to want to, um, yeah, you're not going to want to, you know, spend time, um, being, being out there and being seen in that way. So I, I think that. I'm yeah, sorry. I was, I was going to say that there's, um, this kind of a, a little, um, I don't know if it's a hidden aspect of this too, but I think the idea with people using drugs is they want to reset. They want to get rid and they want to start fresh. But OCD is very nefarious because isn't that kind of OCD to want to clear everything out? That's the point of a compulsion, you yeah. know, and there are similarities and differences between substance use disorders and OCD. But, you know, one similarity they have is this kind of idea that you can that this kind of, again, this trade off between let's make it go right away. But it's a what we could call a pure victory, meaning, again, you you're going to get you think you're getting somewhere, but you're you, the cost you're paying for it is not worth where you're getting. And I think OCD does and, and does intrude onto even the way people use drugs and they may not be realizing they're just getting caught up in another OCD related pattern above and beyond just a drug per se with this idea of a reset and let's do it again. Yeah. And it was repetitive. People do it again and again, pretty much on, you know, often on a very, on a daily basis or multiple times a day. But isn't that just, kind of a broader conception of compulsion. 
Well, exactly right. It is. And and I think you're right in that, you know, substances can be used compulsively. They can also be used to try to escape and, and get away from and get rid of. But end of the day, you know, the reality is you, you can't get rid of negative or difficult experiences. That's just life. Like it comes, it comes with sometimes challenges and, you know, what better way to learn to live than to learn to actually embrace the full totality of life, which, you know, it's not just all always positive, happy thoughts. It's also challenges and difficulties and real things happening. Yeah, exactly. And I think when you have to focus on building something, whether it's your skills or building a life, rather than getting rid of something, generally speaking, you're much more likely to make progress and have and work and be working toward the life you want. We we don't really, generally speaking, make that kind of make improvements in mental health issues just by getting rid of. We do it by building, building abilities, having specific psychological skills, coping skills. And by engaging with life, not trying to get rid of the things that bother you. Yeah. Um, I have one more question for you, which is, you know, I know people when they hear of OCD treatment, generally speaking, people at least more so than not have heard now at this point, generally I'm going to say, you know, ERP, acceptance commitment therapy, even um, inference-based CBT has been talked about a bit more. But with substance use, um, can you talk a little bit about what what can people kind of generally expect in terms of treatment, the different treatment kind of options, what those might look like? Yeah, well, well, the primary thing that people hear about a lot of 12-step programs, right? which use fellowship and um, a whole bunch of uh, a blueprint for changing one's life and it's much more abstinence-based model. Another thing that for fewer people, but is is moderation management types of things where people who have good prognostic indicators, they're highly motivated, the drug abuse hasn't, has only gotten to a, a certain level and they really want to be able to like, let's say be a social drinker, they can try to learn how to use things moderately. So that's a controversial thing, but there is some evidence that for some people that might work, but certainly it's not going to work for every, everybody. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and uh, motivational interviewing and a lot of things we use in OCD are general things that can be applied to substance uh, uh, use as well. But I think uh, the great thing about therapy and doing things, as you said, as a, as a dual diagnosis, is that every tool you use, you bring to bear upon all the things that are impeding your life, whether it's a, a compulsion or it's a compulsive use of drugs or just use of drugs that's either misuse or just backfiring your life or preventing you from getting where you want to go. So um, what they can expect in therapy, I think, is to learn a a, a group of skills, a group of tools that they can hopefully make their lives better. Absolutely. So what would be one thing you'd like to leave our audience with in terms of one one piece of hope or motivation? Well, change is always possible. I always like the statements from... uh, that you can see sometimes in addiction centers, U-turns are possible in life. You can be wherever you are in life and you can and you can make a U-turn. And sometimes people make unbelievable U-turns. The whole idea is to, is to not feel like you're helpless or hopeless and that change is possible. And what's the harm in trying? Take a step. Maybe you'll want to take the next one. That's really well said. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And if anybody wants to find you, what, what's one way that they can find you? at the Neurobehavioral Institute in Western Florida, also known as NBI. Perfect. And of course, I'll include everything in the show notes. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to OCD Whisperer Podcast. If you have any questions you want me to answer in future podcasts or any other comments, you can go to coreresults.com backslash contact backslash. That's 
Core Results, K O R R E S U L T S dot com backslash content.